So my name's Matthew Beaumont and I'm a professor in the English department at UCL. Uh, I'm the author of a book called Night Walking, which is a, as the subtitle indicates, a nocturnal history of London. It's a history of London at night, all the way from the Middle Ages to the mid-19th century. And what I'm going to do tonight is just take you on a very brief tour of a couple of sites of nocturnal interest near UCL. So I've I've walked out of my office where I dropped in to pick up a book. It's now about midnight and I've made my way across Gordon Square or skirted around Gordon Square and around Torrington Square and I'm in the heart of Bloomsbury standing in front of the British Medical Association building. The reason I'm there is because I want to just reconstruct the experience of Charles Dickens who lived in a house on this site in the mid-19th century. So I've stepped into the lee of that building to get away from the traffic and the and the noise of the, the wind and other ambient sounds, which are always so rich in London at night. And, and I thought I'd just tell you a little bit about it. So Dickens lived here, as I say, in the mid-19th century, at a time which was pretty dark and gloomy for him. His marriage was breaking down. He was suffering from severe insomnia, he had various financial anxieties, in spite of the fact that he was such a successful novelist by the uh, 1850s. And one night in October 1857, he was roughly in his mid-40s, Dickens went to bed in the family home in, in Tavistock Square, where I'm standing, and found himself completely unable to sleep. He'd suffered, as I say, from this insomnia for for some time throughout his adult life, but it was particularly bad during this period of the breakdown of his marriage. He felt particularly agitated. So at about two in the morning, he climbed out of bed, he dressed himself in warm clothes and he set off through the gaslit streets of the city around where I'm standing now. The streets of London, he says in one of his publications slightly earlier, to be beheld in the very height of their glory should be seen on a dark, dull, murky winter's night when the heavy, lazy mist which hangs over every object makes the gas lamps look brighter. So, no doubt with this sort of sentiment in mind, he set off south through central London towards the river. No doubt he could hear his, his boots on the pavements, perhaps even the, the sound of the gas in the the pipes whispering and he headed down to London Bridge and crossed London Bridge and in fact walked the entire way to his country residence in Kent, Gads Hill Place it's called, it's a distance of about 30 miles so he walked the whole way through the night and he experienced what many people who walk at night have done since the Middle Ages, if they keep going on and on and on, either because they've got nowhere to sleep, they're homeless, or 
because they're trying to escape something, personal demons, whatever it might be. That is, he felt an unbelievable loneliness, but he also felt an almost hallucinogenic intensity of feeling, an awareness, a hyper-awareness of his surrounding environment, of the, the sensorium of the city and then the suburbs and the countryside in the 1850s. So I've set off in pursuit of Dickens, following his footsteps, as it were, down south towards London Bridge. I'm not going to go that far. In fact, I'm going to stop off at a couple of places which are in easy walking distance of the UCL campus. The first place I've stopped is is Russell Square, uh, not for any particularly good reason, but just because I found a nice, quiet spot here. Uh, and I think I'll take this opportunity to to quote a, a letter that Dickens wrote after this night walk that I've been reconstructing, where he describes it. Six or eight weeks ago, he says, I performed my celebrated feat of getting out of bed at two in the morning and walking down here from Tavistock House over 30 miles through the dead night. I'd been very much put out and I thought, after all, it would be better to be up and doing something than lying here. So I got up and did that. Dickens was actually quite pleased with himself for having done this long walk. It wasn't something he did every day. He was rather boastful about it, referred to it as his celebrated feat, as you heard in that letter to a friend. But it was a very painful experience in some ways, too. And it involved him, as I say, developing an almost hallucinogenic intensity of feeling. He described it in a, an article a couple of years later, published in one of the magazines he edited. My last special feat, he says, was turning out of bed at two after a hard day, pedestrian and otherwise, and walking 30 miles into the country to breakfast. The road was so lonely in the night that I fell asleep to the monotonous sound of my own feet doing their regular four miles an hour. Mile after mile I walked without the slightest sense of exertion, dozing heavily and dreaming constantly. It was only when I made a stumble like a drunken man or struck out into the road to avoid a horseman close upon me on the path who had no existence that I came to myself and looked about. So he was walking at four miles an hour, which is what many of his friends testified was the speed he walked at during the day. But, um, but at night, he kept this up remarkably, even though increasingly, as further he got, the further he got, the more he was like a somnambulist, a sleepwalker on the Dover Road, walking out of London down to Kent, hallucinating things, horsemen in the roads that didn't exist, that kind of thing. Even a place for breakfast at one point, for example, he thinks that he sees a a Swiss uh, cottage, a kind of Swiss inn, feels he must be in the, the Alps and thinks he can stop for a hearty Swiss breakfast. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop here and I'm going to walk on a bit further and stop in St Giles, which is a place that Dickens wrote about a good deal, also very close to UCL. It was one of the poorest places, a kind of ghetto for the poor, particularly the Irish working class in the in the 19th century, before it was modernised and cleaned up and sanitised by the extension of Oxford Street into so-called new 
Oxford Street. So I'll uh, I'll resume in a moment and say a few more words about about that. So uh, I'm I'm now standing in front of uh, St Giles in the Fields, uh, which is a really wonderful church, not at all far from UCL. Very much worth visiting. Uh, until the pandemic, there used to be gigs there, uh, which was, if you're not religious, as I'm not, quite a good way of getting inside and seeing the interior of the the church uh, and its organ, which is quite impressive. It's a really interesting church. I think there's been a been a, a church of one kind or another on this site since the the twelfth century. So it's a pretty venerable site, and and it was important as a place for burial of plague victims in the 17th century. That was the the century in which the the current church was was built. And it's often been associated with uh, the the poor, the vagrant, and the homeless. Um, It was one of the places on the route, for example, of the journey taken by condemned men who were going from Newgate prison up to the 18th century to Tyburn, to what's today called Marble Arch, where there were gallows and where there were public hangings on a on a vast scale. But even to this day, there are plenty of homeless people around here. And it's somewhere that uh, is still, I think, associated with a, a long history of poverty and vagrancy and misery in general. So St Giles was, a, as I've already said, an area that was particularly impoverished, particularly immiserated in the 19th century. And in fact, Dickens wrote about this. He went out, for example, in the early 1850s with a policeman uh, called uh, Inspector Field on his rounds of the less salubrious parts of London. And one of these was was St Giles, How Goes the Night? His article about this experience starts. St Giles' a clock is striking nine, the weather's dull and wet. It's a feature of Dickens's night walks and the long lines of street lamps are blurred as if we see them through tears a damp wind blows and rakes the pieman's fire out when he opens the door of his little furnace carrying away an eddy of sparks and later he goes on to ask various rhetorical questions in order to illustrate the sheer horrors of the poverty and the oppressive conditions in which the poor live in boarding houses around this area. How many people, he says, may there be in London who, if we'd brought them deviously and blindfold to this street, 50 places, places, paces rather from the station house and within call of St Giles Church would know it for a not remote part of the city in which their lives are passed. How many who amidst this compound of sickening smells, these heaps of filth, these tumbling houses with all their vile contents, animate and inanimate, slimily overflowing into the back road, would believe that they breathe this air. Now, that kind of incredulity, that sense that it's extraordinary that we 
inhabit a city that within a very short range of our relatively privileged lives contains people who are suffering appallingly thanks to the depredations of an unequal and unfair society. We all have to confront that, I think, in the city, particularly if we've, if we've moved here as students, if we work here. Dickens was very attuned to that, to the shock of that contrast, to the hidden London. And it's the hidden London that, that I want to just end by drawing attention to, because the great and most striking thing, I suppose, about all the research I did into London at night from the Middle Ages on was the continuity of this history. It was the fact that today the homelessness problem, particularly in the conditions of a pandemic, in the aftermath of the economic depression of the crisis of 2008, during the current pandemic-induced recession, the homeless are exploding in terms of their population. And there is a shocking continuity, not only with the homelessness problem of the 19th century when Dickens was writing, but also of the Middle Ages when vagrants and itinerants of various kind, time, kinds were, were first forced into the city looking for work because they were thrown off the land by various enclosure acts. So I suppose I want to just draw attention to the ways in which the city at night, if you go out into it, and obviously you have to be careful doing so, particularly if, unlike me, as a white middle-aged man, uh, you, who's comparatively protected in the streets at night, you are vulnerable or marginalised for one reason or another. But in the city at night, if you can go out into it and explore it a bit, you will encounter, in some places, including in St Giles, a kind of moral darkness and this historical continuity I'm talking to talking about, which stretches all the way back to the Middle Ages. So I'd urge you, if you can do it safely, just to explore Bloomsbury, St Giles, the areas around where you live, have your student lodgings, in order to get that other view of London, one that connects you up to its long history, both of nocturnal romance, certainly, but also nocturnal misery. And without wanting to end on a, on a misery-inducing note, uh, I wish you very good luck. <laughs>